Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Swangard. Welcome back to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, conversations with people who make the spirits industry so much more than just what's in the glass. I'm Chris Swanger, the President and CEO of the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. My guests today are Victoria Russell, the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Beam Suntory, and she is the Chair of the Discus DNI Committee and DSM's CEO of Lobo 1707 Tequila and the co-founder of Pronghorn. They join me today to discuss diversity in the industry and what we can do as a community to create a more inclusive spirits industry for everyone around the world. Victoria and Dia, really, really excited to have y'all with us to talk about this critically important issue. First and foremost, Dia, let me ask you this. You were chosen as the first president of Combs Enterprises in 23-year history of the company, assuming day-to-day operational leadership on behalf of Sean P. Diddy Combs. I hope that's still apropos. <laughs> How did this role help prepare you for the work that you're doing with Pronghorn. And congratulations for the amazing work that you've done with Combs Enterprises and all of the above. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, it was a huge honor. If you know Puff Daddy, Brother Love, Love, Diddy, P. Diddy, he is um, you're relatively discerning. So it meant a great deal to be selected for the honor of running all of his different entities now, I had been there for a very long time and started off as an executive assistant and had about maybe another 11 titles in between uh, executive assistant and then becoming the president. So I do think there's something special of when you get a chance to really kind of grow up in an organization. I uh, remember the day was announced. It was really lovely to get the feedback from friends. But one of the most moving thing was all of the existing executive assistants in the company like got together and came to my office and said like, while we really promote from within, right? It really meant something to see like a you know that we we really do believe in the in the talent to try to groom the people who are in the organization. And I was extremely inspired, not from that single instance, but I think the entire journey working with Puff, who is such a beautiful representation of entrepreneurship and understanding the power of listening to diverse voices, right? He's always kind of sat at this intersection of culture and commerce kind of being respectful and requited on both sides. And I got a ton of inspiration in the way that myself and the other two co-founders thought about framing Pronghorn and this template that we've built to figure out how to effectively diversify an industry, starting with my favorite industry, the spirits industry and the Black community in the United States. Absolutely. And we'll get into Pronghorn in more detail in a bit. So Miss Victoria, Before you worked at Beam Suntory, you had a great 14-year career at Papa John's International. How does that experience help you navigate the great role that you're in today, leading uh, DE&I and diversity for Beam Suntory? 
Absolutely. You know, I think it was in two parts. So most of my career actually at Papa John's was in marketing and specifically in analytics. So I think that background creates a really strong background for or foundation for a DNI leader, right? Because everything in today is data and understanding your consumer, the market you're in, all those trends I think are really important. But during that time, the company went through a crisis and it led to the creation of the the DNI function at Papa John's. And so I was able to step up and lead that work. And doing it from scratch in the middle of a crisis was definitely a learning opportunity, a development opportunity for sure. I feel like I, I got maybe 10 years experience in the DNI space in maybe just three years time. So I think that definitely helped kind of create this trajectory for me into the DNI space and particularly at Beam. Actually, prior to Papa John's, I did spend a couple of years at Brown Foreman. So it's just awesome to come back into the spirit space. It's a fun space to be in. Love it. So I feel like I'm a bit of a homecoming coming back into this with Beam Centauri. And so stepping in here really to do the same thing, start the work again, not completely from scratch. I think the company has done a great job and some very grassroots efforts is supported by the leadership team, but really led by the employees and the launching of our employee impact groups, the DNI council, and really starting to pave the way. And so it's been great just to come in and help continue to accelerate and turbocharge the DNI efforts with Beam Centauri. Absolutely. And Victoria, I guess your time in the industry pre-Papa John's, you had a sense on what the challenge might be and the great opportunity that would exist, certainly at being Suntory, but for the greater industry as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, having that experience and seeing it, but it's really not drastically different than other industries as well. So I think it's definitely a challenge for diverse people in many spaces. So it's just great to help elevate, as Dia said, one of the most fun spaces, right? And continue to make sure it's diverse and inclusive for everyone. Absolutely. So recently it was announced that the Distilled Spirits Council came together with Pronghorn in a partnership to drive equal representation for the Black community in the spirits industry. Can both of y'all just tell me a little bit more about the initiative and how that's going to get us to a better place and into the promised land of a thriving, robust industry with diverse talent, diverse views, which will ultimately make this industry that much greater and that much stronger. Yeah, I'll actually give a little bit of foundation as we got to this initiative. So having DNI leaders from across the industry come together and really talk about what are the challenges that we're all facing and how can we work together so that all ships can rise. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time as the DNI committee talking about various issues we could tackle. And coalescing around recruitment and representation industry was definitely number one. Letting the data lead the way to say, okay, we, you know, it's definitely a challenge in the DNI space to feel the need to boil the ocean, right? And there's so many dimensions of diversity that absolutely matter, but where can we start, right? We've got to start somewhere and see some movement. So that definitely gives kind of credence to why we're starting with the Black community first, use those learnings to expand that further. And so really excited about bringing DSMs in and Pronghorn to say, how can we do this and have someone kind of help lead that path? So Dee, I'll pitch it back over to you, kind of expand on what Pronghorn brings to the table. Yeah, go no, Dia. It's a, go Dia. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. It's a beautiful kind of foundation, right? Because, you know, one thing that I've always been a fan of Victoria from day one is that idea of being driven by analytics, right? From an educational standpoint, right? Not from a backwards looking standpoint, but from a, how are we using the education to fuel us? And when we built Pronghorn, we said from the beginning, like we will be math-based, but heart-led. 
And uh, what we did was establish essentially just through modeling work. We said, look, this should be, I actually think bigger than the spirits industry, right? What we really want to do is understand how to take all these great intentions and pledges and systemize it, right? Because I think it's a, it's a great time to be alive when people are, are actively trying to do the right thing, but to systemize it at an industry-wide level is a challenge. So we said, look, let us take on the challenge of figuring out the math and the systemic changes that need to occur. And let's start with the spirits industry. And to Victoria's point, let's start with the Black community, build this open code as we learn that it could be lifted and shared with other populations and potentially even other industries. The spirits industry already has a phenomenal foundation in this and haven't opted in and made the decision to let's all hold hands and figure out how to make sure we're driving for responsible messaging, responsible consumption, and has done that really well. I think I'm always very proud of the way the industry has stepped up and worked together as a single unit to the benefit of our consumer base. So I knew, we kind of knew out the gate, like this industry knows how to work together for good, right? Yeah. And for Pronghorn specifically, we looked and just did the math of in 10 years, A, how many more employees do we need in the industry to be right-sized and pro-rata with the population of the Black community in the U.S. from intern to C-suite? How many more Black founders, right, do we need that actually have built and own their own spirits brands, their own whiskey, their own tequila, you know, their own gin from scratch. And then what are the areas that will be required to get somebody who has maybe enormous talent, but not the resources and information, and whether that's technical know-how or whether that's financial wherewithal or an understanding of our somewhat complicated industry, right? And the regulatory whiplash, right? When you try to understand this industry, how do we coalesce all that information? And we we broke it down into 11 separate areas. We call them superchargers, Right. So we're investing in 1,800 new employees from the Black community. The DISCUS working lockstep with Chris, working lockstep with Victoria. Each of the members of the DEI committee have stepped up and said, yes, we're committed to our number in this industry, which I have to say is like one of the most heartwarming things. Every single call I've had with everyone has said, what can we do? We can do more than the number you're asking us to do. We can't wait to get started. And then on the flip side, we're investing in 57 Black-owned founders. And again, these numbers are not arbitrary. We looked at what the current gap is and then reverse engineered into what we needed to do to make an impact. And we are off to the races. We're in the middle of angel pitches this week. We kicked off our inroads. We're actually, we're looking forward to being down at Discus soon. With We'll have a bunch of the first crop of interns down there. And it's really exciting. Exciting stuff. So Pronghorn's a standalone business dedicated to cultivating the next generation of diverse founders executive leaders and entrepreneurs, right? With an initial aim to apply industry-leading expertise while also investing financial, individual, network capital to effectively support and grow and sustain Black-owned businesses in the spirits industry. How did the project start? How did the idea? Tell us, Nadia, tell us, tell us, I know what it is, but tell us what a problem <laughs> is, which is a brilliant <laughs> philosophy, because this ain't a sprint. It's going to be a while. And the cheetah gets tired. Pronghorn duck. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's, you, nailed, you nailed it, Chris. I think, listen, the pronghorn is an animal mostly found in Montana that most people I speak to have not heard of, but it's the second fastest land mammal in the world. It's actually the fastest land mammal in North America. It's second only to the cheetah. And if the pronghorn and the cheetah were in a race, the, the cheetah would win for a sprint. Yeah. But in a marathon, the pronghorn will win every single time. And, and we looked at what needs to be done. We know we have a lot of distance to cover. 
And honestly, we don't have a boatload of time. So the way Pronghorn was set up to be a 10-year initiative with the understanding that we need to go far, but we need to go fast. And at the end of 10 years, our model and the math bears out that we will have had a $2.4 billion impact together jointly, right? With the work that Pronghorn has set up to move forward with working lockstep with Victoria, working lockstep with you, Chris, to move the industry forward. And we firmly believe, and again, the research shows this, to the benefit of the entire industry. We want to grow opportunity and we want to grow the industry. And we think those two feed each other in a virtuous cycle. Yep, absolutely. And that's what it's all about. And now my next question, but I want to make a statement if I may, but let me just start off with a question. What are some of them, the common misconceptions about diversity within the spirits industry? And let me just say this, maybe, I don't know if this is a mea culpa moment, but I'm a white guy. I've been very, very lucky. I grew up lower to middle class and, you know, just pursued coming to DC. But I'm embarrassed to say, even though I've always fully subscribed to diversity and treat everybody the same, it is to the core. It's how I was raised, right? But up until the last couple of years, I didn't ever put a lot of thought in on how it might be challenging or hard for a person of color or a person from a different culture to enter into a particular industry or a particular field. So over the last couple of years, I've reflected a lot on why this is so important, why this is going to make the industry better. We all kind of live in our lanes and we're kind of running as fast as we can to pursue our lives and careers. And for me, up until the last couple of years, even though I inherently subscribe to the great benefits of diversity and the benefits of all of that, I didn't reflect on how hard it is to do it. You would have asked me two or three years ago, well, there there shouldn't be any challenges for someone from a different background to get a job. You know, if I could do it, they could do it. But that's not the case. And I think one of the things that this initiative with Pronghorn and Discus and with all of our member companies, hopefully we're going to be able to break through that. So I hope that's okay that I said that. But what are some of the common misperceptions of diversity within the spirits industry within itself? I'll start. I think it's kind of what you said, right? A lot of people go into it thinking, hey, I'm a good person. I would treat everyone the same. That's not the case in the entire space, right? We know that's not happening. It's not an equitable space, right? In terms of opportunities for diverse employees, whether it's women, people of color, it's just not been a level playing field. And I think it's so important for people to first accept what it is, is the only way we're going to be able to solve the problem and not wishing it away or making assumptions around how we believe it is, right? And asking people about their experience putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? If it's a heavily white male dominated space, what must that be like for, exactly. So, you know, as a woman, when you first come in, it's a little uncomfortable, right? The mental gymnastics you might be going through in your head before you speak, or even do you feel your presence should be there and, and how comfortable are you? And the same thing, right, with people of color. So I think there's so many, the misconception of this should just be a fair space. It's 2022, these issues don't exist anymore. That's not the case. I think that's step one. And the other big thing I'm I'm hearing and seeing now, and I don't think it's specific to this industry, but we definitely are feeling it is as organizations continue to put a focus on DNI, there's this misconception now that, Hey, I'm losing opportunities as a white male. I no longer have promotional opportunities or right. 
And if you look at the data, that's just simply not true. We've not closed the gap. Women and people of color are not getting the same opportunities for advancement, for development, definitely as entrepreneurs in that space, right? It's a very crowded space. And so I think stopping and saying, okay, hey, how do we make this more fair, more equitable, ensuring that everyone has the same opportunity to get into the space and excel in the space and understanding the the lay of the land for consumers down the road. We're getting browner, not the other direction in this country. And so understanding who your consumers are when you're doing, you know, marketing campaigns and and product launches, who's at the table to say, hey, this is a terrible idea or this is not going to resonate or we might end up in a, a social media crisis because we know cancel culture is very real and not having diverse voices at the table you won't avoid those missteps. So I think that's so important to to really understand where we are today. And then I think there's a role for everyone in it. You know, we need white males to say, hey, let's create those opportunities. Let's open doors that didn't exist before. And so I think it's going to take all of us really to get there. Absolutely. And Dia, I know you've got some data on the consumer base for distilled spirits products, but also, you know, where the employee base is for Mm -hmm. the Black community within the distilled spirits industry. I know you know those numbers, maybe just to put a little bit of perspective, but it just underscores why it's so imperative that we need to get this right. Yeah, I mean, so look specifically with the Black community, kind of on the one side of the bar from a consumer standpoint, it's about pro rata of the population. You typically found about 12 to 14% of consumption coming from the Black community, which is the same as the representation in the country at large, as a, just a U.S. census, right? But on the other side of the bar, really largely absent from the executive rankings, it's about 2% at an executive level. If you drop that to just Black women executives, the number is actually below 0% in our industry. So yeah, the data shows out, we have a lot of room to grow, frankly, without sacrifice, right? I think it's a really important conversation that we should be able to have honestly, in terms of saying, if you're really doing this right, it is not a game of musical chairs. It's not an either or situation, right? We should be growing the industry and building a bigger table. The last two years have been, from a revenue standpoint, like our most successful years of an industry, right? At the same time, although the strides have been minimal, incremental, we're becoming increasingly diverse. Now, again, that's not cause and effect, but I'm going to stand behind the correlation Like as we continue to grow, you know, you get more innovation, you know, you get typically better retention. When we're all in this fight for talent, you have a larger pool to recruit from. And it really is better for the industry. It truly is. Can Discus Academy, uh, if our listeners are aware of Discus Academy and the courses it provides, can Discus Academy be a platform for folks to take advantage of? Because, I mean, based on those data points, We're not taking advantage of the opportunities, right? So just because, uh, do you think Discus Academy could be a platform to help bring in and uh, support that talent creation? Absolutely. I think any place you can start with development opportunities, awareness building, and just simply exposure, right? A lot of times, you know, I don't think everybody knows what opportunities are even available to them, how to get in there. How do I get started? What do I need to do differently? And ensuring we promote that right inclusively and include people to know what those opportunities are, I think is going to be absolutely critical. So I definitely think that's a place we can start. The Discus Academy is incredibly well. Victoria, question for you. Is it? Oh, go ahead, Dia. No, no. I I just, I'm like, 
legit. Like the first time somebody like called me over to a laptop and was like, look at how cool it is. Like the amount of information that is actually appropriately yeah. distilled by category for a person who this industry is entirely novel is re- it's really well done. And it's that kind of library of information that can be such a difference maker, right? There's no zip code that has a lock on talent, but there are zip codes that are entirely under-resourced. And an opportunity to tap into information is that's exactly what we need to like help level the playing field. You know, I don't I don't have the stats on how much is used, but I suspect it's underutilized and it's a it's an incredible mm-hmm. tool. It really is. Absolutely. Victoria, question for you because you're in Kentucky. You live in Kentucky. You know, what are some of the ways that distilleries, and there's plenty of distilleries in Kentucky, all throughout the state, the back hills and all of the above. Absolutely. <laughs> and what are some of the ways for distilleries to implement greater inclusivity? And that can be a great foundation for the industry. Step one is looking around. You know, a lot of times it's not diverse, right, on campus in terms of the employee base, yeah. even in terms of the guests that come out, right? So when you think about where do you market and how do you advertise to say, hey, this is a place for everyone. Bourbon is for everybody. It doesn't discriminate, right? And so how do we make sure that you feel comfortable being in those spaces? And so I think it's really important that distilleries are intentional about the representation of the staff that's working, representation of who's being invited, right? Where you're showing up and then getting out and showing up in the community all around the state, I think is really important. And in different communities, not where you maybe stereotypically have been or traditionally feel like you should be, but be different, right? Be daring. Everybody's drinking the product. And so I think a lot of times for, particularly for the black community and underrepresented groups, they just want to feel invited. We want to feel included. Um, There's several bourbon societies, right? So there's the Black Bourbon Society, there's Kobe, there's the Kentucky Black Bourbon Guild. There's so many vehicles to kind of tap into those organizations, do tasting, do barrels picks with these organizations, get the product in hand. And I think there's a lot of ways to do that. And just, I think the intentionality to do it is what's missing definitely can improve. No doubt. Let me just do a call out. Bro Brothers Distillery. It's in Louisville and three brothers in. uh, It's the first African-American owned distillery in the state of Kentucky. And it is beautiful and brilliant. And they're making great whiskey. And that's just one example. But definitely on those great distilleries all throughout the country, inviting different communities to come experience that and be a part of it. That's nothing but an opportunity for the industry. Dia, have you noticed inclusivity evolving over the course of your career, which has been a great career, right? Have you seen the evolution? I 100% have seen improvement and actually pretty dramatic improvement in the ability to even have a conversation about it, right? So I've started off maybe about 25 years ago, getting my first uh, contract with old Seagram's back then. And uh, it was yeah. a very different industry. But I think even bigger than that, we just were not having these conversations at all. So, you know, coming from yesterday, a beautiful event about women's leadership, where the CEO of Prano and the CEO of Diageo, right, are women. And we have here with Victoria, another one. Like, is it you, you this this was actually largely absent 25 years ago. So not too long ago. Not, not to be honest, like, yeah, like 11 years ago, not even from when I started. Yeah. So again, <laughs> you can just look at the math the numbers are still small, but we are, I think we're all holding hands to move them forward. And the trend is the right direction. And there's certainly a dramatic increase in intentionality. I mean, I think Chris, even, even you just saying like, Hey, 
I don't know if this is going to ping me later, but I just want to say, like, I just didn't have thought about this. Well, of course, that's this country is actually largely social, socially segregated. There's a lot of historical things that we all bring with us. Yep. And if we can't have an honest conversation about it, it's going to be difficult to change. And I, I, I'll be honest, I think five or six years ago, we weren't having this level of transparency and intentionality. And it gives me great hope. Well, people like me weren't reflecting on it like the way I should have, but I didn't know any better. It wasn't because of malice or whatever. I just didn't really think of it in those terms, right? Sounds like I'm trying to be defensive a little bit, but these conversations in the commitment is going to get us over the hump and allow us to make some progress, right? Absolutely. The only thing I would add there, I think the events of 2020 work together. Like, so the pandemic forced us to sit down, we were at home. And then with the social justice, you know, I would call that another social pandemic, right? Around George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and everyone kind of took a moment to pause. And I think for, it's not that those events have not happened before. It's just, I think for the first time people, everybody was listening and it had their attention and it forced us to start having conversations. We really were not having to Dia's point. I think sometimes we didn't know how to have them on either side. I think for diverse folks, we're tired of having the same conversation, yeah. right? Over and over in those experiences. But I think on the other side, there are those now that whose eyes are wide open. Wow, their things are not fair. It's not equitable. And people are starting to say, what can I do about it? I think younger and younger people, I'll give them credit as a part of that social movement that are advocating for people that are different than them, right? It's not about black and white. It's about doing the right thing for everybody and making sure everybody feels they can be a part of anything. And so I think, you know, that has really pushed us into having these conversations, which is great, but we have to be intentional to ensure it's, we sustain that, that we're not just going to revert back. Things have settled down with COVID, right? Let's, let's get back out there and go back to normal. I think there's a new normal. We need to embrace that and continue to ensure we're making progress forward. And Chris, honestly, having leaders like you keep this subject top of mind, that's what it's going to take, right? That's how we're going to see progress. I'll just say another bit of, you know, my own evolution. At one point over the last couple of years, someone made a comment to me about the quote unquote systematic racism within the industry. When that comment was made, I took offense to it a little bit because Mm -hmm. racism is a very loaded term, right? And I was like, there's no racism in this industry, right? That that's what I was thinking in, in my mind. But my perspective is different than the perspective of someone that's trying to break into the industry or trying to step up the ladder to get a job or a promotion or what have you, right? So even though from someone from my perspective, systematic racism can be a little bit jarring for me because I'm not a racist and I don't know anybody from my background that are racist, right? But there's an inherent blocker that makes it harder. And that's what pronghorn, that's what discus, that's what your leadership were trying to break through. So again, it's not by design or maybe in some elements there could be, but do you think over the next five years, we're going to make some progress? Are y'all feeling good about the momentum that we've got, but we got to keep it, keep it going, right? Yeah. As long as we continue the the momentum, I I would say, yes. I think the other thing I pause and tell people to, to reflect on It's not, can it be about the individual and being racist? Absolutely. But I would suggest, you know, pause systemic racism. It could be built into our systems, practices for decades, centuries, that until we stop and say, okay, hey, we have a problem, 
Let's work together to figure it out. What's the solution? What are the roadblocks and barriers that are preventing movement versus erring on? Oh, no, everyone's a good person. It should be fine. You know, we can't fix what we don't know is broken. And we first have to acknowledge that something is not working and then work together to find the solution and co-create that. And I think that's what gets me excited about the positive momentum that I think we're seeing and, and we're doing it together versus it always falling on the shoulders often of those who did not break the system to figure out how to fix it. It's going to take all of us to figure out how to course correct and ensure that everyone can benefit from this American dream, right, that we all want to partake in. But it's just not equitable at the moment. So how do we ensure and work together to do that? Absolutely. And the numbers, the data shows that we've got a long way to go. The data doesn't lie. But we're making progress little by little. Yes. What advice would you all have for a brand, a distiller, a company looking to build greater diversity in their company? I mean, I would say part of it does come down to the approach, right? There are a lot of, there are certain things that we we can't uh, change quickly that are just the reality of the systems that have been built for centuries, right? So we can have all the good intentions of the world. Everybody could be really great people, but to be able to think historically about the implications of housing and legacy wealth. And, you know, there are real things that have to be overcome, right? That are not equitable. And there's nothing we can do to change history, but understanding that as a foundation and then being really mindful in your mind, which is a hard thing to think about like DEI in a different way. Right. So I think, unfortunately, people sometimes are viewing it as like the same way they would put like a charitable part of their organization, right? Like Mm-hmm. We do goodwill. We f- we focus on food deserts and DEI. Like and mentally, a lot of people do think of it that way. But a very simple thing beyond the practical practices, which uh, you know I'm sure Victoria would be better than I to espouse on, is how are you viewing it? Like, do you really believe the data shows it? But I don't know that it's being internalized and believed and understood that in real life, mathematically, you will have better financial upside if you have diverse teams, right? Of women and people. That's that's an actual proven fact, Mm -hmm. study after study. There's nothing controversial about that. And it's really an opportunity that should be unlocked as like, okay, I want to keep growing our industry compared to other industries, right? Our industry grows four or 5% a year. That's incredible. Like you got CPG that would look at us with the envy of other industries. We could even be growing more, right? If we continue to double down on this, I think we have to approach it both as a commercial imperative and as a thing that is good for society, right? And, and hold those things. And if you mm-hmm. could switch your mind frame, I think your behaviors and actions will better follow. Absolutely. Well, you put the dollar signs up, right? People are going to be motivated, right? But helping to get that for sure. Victoria? I would treat DNI as any other business function. A lot of times I agree with Dia. It starts, it's usually employee-led. You start a committee and you leave it to the more junior people, diverse people organization on their shoulders to solve the problem for the company. You would never do that with any other situation, right? You're not going to leave finance business to go tell the EIGs to go figure that out. So I think ensuring that you've got very senior commitments, starting absolutely with your CEO, your boards, the leadership teams to say, we're going to work together and share the responsibility, right? Of doing this work, investing in the work, a lot of times people start DNI programs with no budget, little to no funding, no people resources behind it, and then wonder why it doesn't work. Again, you would never do that with any other line of the business. And then setting goals and metrics are, are critical, right? What gets measured gets done. And so keeping your eye on the data, and I don't mean once a year or quarterly, 
you know, I think it's really important that organizations look at their data on a very regular basis. That's how you're going to keep the needle moving and continue to make that progress. And the last thing, what gets rewarded gets repeated. So when you see the organization doing the right thing, going in the right direction, aligning kind of the rewards of that, I think is also pretty critical to keep that momentum going and getting people excited about the progress of the organization. It's a good thing. Absolutely. It's like looking at a uh, monthly depletion data, right? Yes. Or data on how your brands are doing. Perfect. Dia and Victoria, thank you all. What a robust, great discussion. Thank you for your leadership. Failure is not an option in this effort. There is nothing but great opportunity in inspiring our consumers, making our industry stronger, big revenue growth for our industry. And we just appreciate y'all's leadership. And we're going to keep pushing the ball up the hill, but we're going to get to the promised land and the industry is going to be a lot better and stronger for it. So thank you and cheers to you both. I'd like to give a big thank you to both Victoria and Dia for joining me today to talk a bit about the innovation and the cultivating efforts to diversify our industry. Every one of us needs to do a part every day to make this industry a more inclusive one and a better one. I also would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Spirited Advocate Podcast. Ask your bartender for Lobo 1707 or any fine beam Suntory product. And remember to joy in moderation and responsibly. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'm Chris Swanger, and this has been the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. Mm-hmm.